Joshua chapter 6 is where we are. Don't stand for a moment. I just want to share with you a few things. I came across a quote several weeks ago, and and, uh, it's just fantastic, and it really addresses in one simple sentence what I want to share with you today. And uh, and the wall came tumbling down. G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if many of you know who G.K. Chesterton is, but uh, a theologian and really uh, an interesting character in his day, but he had this quote many years ago. He said, the one perfectly divine thing, the one glimpse of God's paradise given on earth is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. That last part really, I think, speaks should speak to our hearts as a church today. The one perfectly divine thing, the one glimpse of God, paradise given on earth, is to fight a losing battle and not lose it. Joy Ritterhoff, I don't know if you know that name. Does anybody in here recognize the name Joy Ritterhoff? She was a missionary, a single lady in the late 30s, and she founded gospel recordings, and it later became Gospel Recording Network. But Gospel Recordings, founded in 1939, is a missions organization that provided language and evangelism tools, and still does, matter of fact, to this day, in thousands of languages. As a matter of fact, as of last year, they had recorded the gospel message in over 6,500 languages. That's since 1939. That's one language a week. Now, I don't know what that is, but we're going to try our best not let that concern us, okay? You just, uh, I'm going to get it out of my mind. If you just get it out of your mind, too, there's just, I'm, I can assure you it's not a varmint, okay? It's not a varmint running around up there we're hitting. It's one of our lights or anything that's uh, making some noise up there. So she founded Gospel Recordings in 1939. The early days of Gospel Recordings were tough as a single career woman missionary. She was originally in Honduras contracted malaria, had to go back home to Los Angeles, and was there. And in this despair, she knew that God was calling her to reach more than just Central America and the Honduran people. One year, Gospel Recordings badly needed to expand its base in Los Angeles, and Joy and her staff prayed for, uh, for, for it several months, and then a site came available. And this site seemed ideal. The board authorized a $6,000 deposit, and this was in the mid-40s. That's a lot of money. The property cost 10 times that much, so they were to give a non-refundable deposit of the amount, the 10% of the amount. So they gave $60,000, and the amount was $60,000 they needed. The property there was available. But according to her convictions, she refused to publicly appeal for funds. She said, we need to pray about it, and they did. While she was in Wheaton, Illinois, on a speaking tour, and the deadline approached, they needed $60,000. If they did not get that, they would lose the land and lose their deposit, and only half of the money had been raised. Well, Joy's staff called her in crisis, and then her instructions were simply this. Follow the Jericho pattern for these remaining seven days and let us cable all the branch offices to join us. And that was it. Follow the Jericho pattern. No other explanation was given. Really, was none was needed. 
She said, building deadline, this is the cable that went out, and telegraphs went out right after that. She said, it said, building deadline October 9th, follow Jericho pattern next seven days. And so they did join her staff and circled that Jericho in earnest prayer for seven days. Within the week, an overseas call came in from London and a British staffer announced an unexpected legacy gift had just arrived for the ministry in the amount of you can guess it, $60,000. Now, keep in mind, she had not let anyone know this outside her staff, and she told her staff, and don't miss this because we'll visit it later on, she told her staff to say nothing. Now, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Because we all know maybe I can, I can mention this to someone, and, and I know they will pray about it, and they may feel led of the Lord to help us out. You know, if we're not careful, we can cloak manipulation in a spiritual sense. She told her staff, don't say anything. Don't say a word. And they didn't. And this gift came through. So she continued her speaking engagement through Illinois with a new story of God's faithfulness. So on the back side, they said everything. On the front side, they said nothing, only to the Lord. That illustration brings us to the most famous event, I think, in Joshua. Joshua certainly doesn't end with chapter 6. It goes on. But here we see really a climax in some respects. In they're just crossed the Jordan, and now they're going to Jericho. Now, Jericho is the longest, it's still today, is the longest continually inhabited city on the earth. Did you realize that? It's the oldest city on earth continually inhabited. Its massive wall was impregnable, by ancient standards at least. And since the inhabitants, they will get into our story in just a moment, they know the Israelites will soon attack, and they have securely shut the gates. In other words, we have a wall, we're shutting the gate, we're secure. The first takeaway on that, that's a picture of us. When we feel threatened, whether it's anything, we tend to throw up walls and shut the gate and go in into our own inner security. So before we get into the outline this morning, here's the first thing, and I didn't have this in my notes until last night, so it's not on your outline, but I do want you to write this because I believe it's, it's vitally important. And please forgive me for not making it part of the official outline, but the Lord let me see this last night as I was going back over things. The first thing you and I need to do this morning before we start filling in the blanks, before we even read what we know we're going to read in a moment, is to have this in mind. We need to know, we need to see the response before us that we'll mention at the closing of this message. You see, God never judged people, including Sodom and Gomorrah, without warning them numerous times that he was going to destroy them because of their idolatry and immorality. Again and again, we see God's love, grace, mercy, and patience in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. It's true that throughout time, compared to those that have repented, it's true that few people have repented, especially in the Old Testament context. But when they did, but when they did, God relented and preserved them. Listen, 
It is not God's desire to judge people. His attitude has been the same since the Apostle Peter expressed it in 2 Peter 3.9. So before we even get to that scripture, would you stand with me and turn to 2 Peter 3.9 as we read that passage of scripture. 2 Peter 3.9, if you're physically able, stand with me and let's look and see what God is saying through the Apostle. 2 Peter 3.9. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. The Lord does not delay his promises as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to, what's that word? Repentance. Let's say that again together. Not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, Father, that the meditations of my heart and the the thoughts of my mind only reflect what you want to speak. In other words, Father, will you mute everything that has origin within me and amplify everything that has origin within the throne of your mercy seat. And so, Father, I pray that you're glorified and that the church is challenged And God, we move as an endeavor corporately and individually to apply what you want us to hear today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So that is the key. That is the key to have in mind when we hear the Lord speaking, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, is have that gospel thought, that key to salvation, Tim, of repentance There's no salvation apart from repentance. You may be a church member and have not repented. You may be a Sunday school member and have not repented. You may be a a Sunday school teacher and have not repented. You may be in the choir and have not repented. You may be a good person and have not repented. But if you have not repented, you have not Christ. We must turn away from that self and turn toward Jesus Christ, the Lord and Redeemer of our souls. It is in that that this takes place. So as we look at this this morning, on your outline, our first, really second point is this, be willing to appear foolish. And in this, why do I need to appear foolish? We're going to look at at least three requirements for us to fight against our Jerichos. And I'm not going to take this out of context because I want to stay true to what we're reading in Scripture in the walls of Jericho as Joshua and the Israelites go toward them. But to make it applicable to us, and everything I've read and studied up leading to this, Every man and every woman and every young person in this room and listening on live stream has a Jericho. Not had or will have, but has. You've had some in the past, walls that you've had to look at. You, you, may, you will have some in the future. But right now, right now, we all face some type of Jericho. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we must do, I believe Scripture is teaching, is be willing to appear foolish. 
Now you're saying, well, that sounds good because they certainly did. Well, I know the story. Gosh, I've been in church since whenever. And this, you've heard a story about the, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. We've known that story if you've been involved in any type of church setting. But what does it mean? An old commentary on the book of Joshua said in relation to chapter 6 and what we left off with chapter 5, you recall when it was chapter 5, you remember the commander of the army was there with a sword and Joshua was looking toward Jericho after they crossed over Joshua, after they crossed over the Jordan, and Joshua basically said, are you for us or against us? And you remember what the commander said? Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And we determined throughout study that that was Jesus himself. It's called a theophany. That was the Lord Jesus Christ standing there. And so Joshua was looking at just, I don't want to chase this rabbit much, but it's worth mentioning. So they had just crossed the Jordan. They'd seen that miracle. He had in his mind said, gosh, this is a lot like the Red Sea. They'd seen the Lord provide manna throughout. They're circling. Don't miss the imagery there. They're circling in the wilderness for 40 years. And Joshua looks toward Jericho and says, who are you? Are you for us or against us? Neither. I'm the commander. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look to something that we know we must go toward, always allow Jesus to come between us and that wall. That's a great takeaway right there. Whenever you're looking at something and you're looking to, I need to attack that. I need to take care of that. I need to address that in my life. If we look to it and don't see the commander of the army between us and the problem, the problem will overcome us. We must always see Jesus in between. He's there between us. He's there as filtering that thing. So in this, this, this old commentary said, quote, there is no more unfortunate division of chapters in the Bible than occurs here between chapter 5 and chapter 6. The conversation between the captain and his lieutenant is cut in twain. Now, when we read through the book of Joshua, most of us stopped at chapter 5, thinking the story of the commander of the Lord's army abruptly ends. Actually, that conversation continues into chapter 6 as the commander proceeds to give Joshua the plan for conquering Jericho. And look with me in chapter 6, beginning with verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I've handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests. Let's, here's the idea. Have seven preachers. Carry seven ram horn trumpet in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the ram's horns. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. Now, God's instructions here, you have to admit, seem a bit strange. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that have just crossed the Jordan miraculously, set the stones of remembrance, and now they're gazing upon what's next. They've entered the promised land. But yet, the commander is saying, here is the strategy. God's instructions, the Lord's instructions, may seem a little strange. On the seventh day, the soldiers and priests are to march around Jericho seven times and blowing the horns. It must seem really a bit silly. They're thinking, they, I'm, I'm thinking we need ladders, we need catapults, we need ropes, we need battering rams to defeat the Jericho. In other words, count the cost. 
Look at it. How are we going to conquer this? Well, here it's simple. Let's get to work and do those things. That's another takeaway. Sometimes I believe I do. I try to get to work before I get on my knees. I've often told you that a lot of times I'll make a decision and ask God to bless that decision. How arrogant can I be? Listen, don't cloak pride and spirituality and say, let's make a decision. Oh, by the way, let's go to the Lord and pray about it. And we, let's give it to him. No, you've already made your mind up. This is, it, it seems a bit ridiculous, but think about it. Our biblical worldview as a church family and our views on marriage, sexual behavior, gender, the Bible, worship, giving, tithing, serving to the world, we look foolish. And can I, can I just let you know, it's only going to look more foolish to the world as days go by. In other words, we're not all of a sudden going to be thought of, they've got it. Man, they, they, they know what's going on. The world that we live in, the culture that is here today, increasingly will look at believers, followers of Jesus Christ, as fools. Listen to how 1 Corinthians 4.10 addresses that. It describes fearless faith in believers like this. We are fools for Christ, Paul was addressing the church at Corinth. He went on to say, but you are wise. And he, he went into this. He says, I don't say this for your shame, but I say this to wake you up. Don't try to be as the world is. Be okay with looking or appearing foolish. We are fools in Christ Jesus. The inhabitants of Jericho, can you imagine? They might have stood on the city wall making jokes of these ex-slaves who worship Jehovah. Listen, church, if we demonstrate a fearless faith, at times we will appear foolish in the eyes of the world. When Joshua gives instructions that God gave him to the priests and armed men, they immediately obey. And it's a wonderful picture. They did not question their leader because they knew he walked closely with the Lord. They obeyed. Joshua then tells the people not to say a word. Does that recognize that from what Miss Joyce said? Don't say a word. And I, I thought about that in the, in, the, in the weeks leading up this. Why? Why did he tell them not to say a word? I mean, can, can you imagine? Uh, do we have any educators in here? Just raise your hand. Any teachers? Any we got one. Okay, two, several teachers. Is it hard to get a group of 20 to be quiet? How about let's, let's just paint the picture. 20 second graders. Do you, okay, there you go. Is, it, is that difficult? Don't, psh, no talking. Don't, psh, not, don't say a word. Does, I mean, is that hard? Yes. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, but yet they're said, don't speak. Why? Why? I believe this is why. Look at the precept found in Proverbs 27, 17. Jot that down in your notes. You don't have to turn there. Proverbs 27, 17. You may recognize that if you have some Proverbs memorized. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Can you imagine the antithesis of that happening? If they were to start talking, because what do you think is going to happen? If they were allowed to talk, they're probably going to start marching around the city, and one good old boy is going to say to another one, says, have you given this much thought? 
Listen, I, I know we can take them. I mean, we, I, I've seen it. Why are we marching around this city and letting the preachers play the horns? Have you thought about that? And this, and this other guy says, you know, you're right. This is crazy. This, this is not what we should do. This isn't really going to work. I mean, I like those preachers and all, but the, the horns are getting on my nerves. I mean, this, this isn't what we should be doing. And before you know it, that two becomes four, and that four becomes eight, and that eight becomes 16, and 32, and 64, and so on and so forth. And before you know it, there's a cancer spreading among the people. You know what it's called? Negative thoughts, complaining. My grandmother used to say, mule lip people. You know, they just, why in the world we got to walk around? This done, we know the plan. Let's, doggone, let's do it. That is why God is in infinite wisdom, told Joshua, tell him to be quiet. Don't say a word. God doesn't want the Israelites to talk because they may think they have a better idea. Isaiah 26, 12 says, Lord, you have also done all work for us. Was it anything that they were going to do to accomplish this? No, it was God through them. That's a task that you and I need to take upon our hearts this morning. Anything, anything you have. I mean, we know this is church on Sunday morning is God's. Amen. Anything that you have is from God, whether it be a home, an automobile, a career, a child, your own life. It first belonged to God. It is on loan to us. That's why you and I are called stewards. So God is saying there in Isaiah 26, 12, he has done all the works for us. In other words, whatever we achieve is simply the result of what God himself does. He accomplishes our achievements for us. Everything we think we're doing is truly his doing. He is doing it in, for through and around us. In life, we now live in the flesh. We live through faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Listen, this morning, if you're bearing a strain of a load that is heavy and in a group this size, I know it to be true. Even in my own life, if there's some things that just, oh, if I could just get out from under this, are you bearing a strain of a load too heavy, a pain too hurtful, a project too big, or an obstacle too large? Remember, you're not in charge. Your moments of greatest perplexity are his moments to show up as the commander of the Lord's host. You're on holy ground. When you have Christ between you and the task before you, his, as we talked about last time, his holiness radiates and has an unbelievable circumference around it. And that's why he told Joshua, says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. That's what we should endeavor to do. Be on holy ground. And it's not just a church. It is in our daily lives when the task or things that are for us that cause us heaviness, that cause us angst, that cause us concern, make sure that we have the Lord of the host so close to us and we get so close to him that we are forced him to take off our shoes because then we are on holy ground. It's set apart. Take some time worshiping him. 
and basking in the power of God's encircling holiness. And so it was that the people who had marched around in circles for decades, four of them, matter of fact, they were marching around in circles for 40 years. They're asked to do it one more time for six days, for seven, and on the seventh day. And, and really, here's what's going to happen. They were about to, have you ever heard the story? Man, you run circles around your enemy. You ran circles around them. Maybe your favorite football team yesterday ran circles around who they were playing. Mine didn't. But, you know, they, but here, they literally, they're going to walk circles around their opponent. Like Joshua and the Israelites, in order to, to defeat I Jericho's, we must be willing to appear foolish. Secondly, we must trust in the Lord's power. This is in verses 12 through 20. Now, the next morning, Scripture tells us Joshua gets up early, implying his readiness to obey God. And though not specified here, it's probably when Joshua had his quiet time. And here's just a little disciple tutorial. Have it in the morning before your mind gets cluttered, before your day gets busy. Spend time with God in the morning. Psalm 5, 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case and watch expectantly. Are you in the habit of great expectations every day? Or great just like, oh, my goodness, today's going to be a full day. Oh, my goodness, and tomorrow's going to be worse than that. And I've got so much to do by Wednesday. <sighs> Boy, I got to get on it. We got to make it happen, Captain. I mean, we, we just got to get busy. If we do that without going to the Lord first, we're operating in our own power. And we've already identified there's not a wall that's going to come down in our own power. We can try and try and try, but it will not happen. So the Israelites continue to march around the city each morning as God commanded for six days. You remember when, when we first started looking at Joshua and we talked about Rahab and how she lowered that crimson cord or rope out the side? So just bring that back to your memory. You know, she had that, that flax and dye up on the roof, and she had been dyeing all this material for such a long time. And I believe Scripture is clear in saying she had had faith because she had heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. She'd already come to faith, and she'd already started practicing other things. She'd started making this material. And she lowered this red rope out of her window to signify that's where she lived, to the spies. You remember that? So they're marching around this. And I've often thought, you know, the walls of Jericho from the outside probably can look the same. You know, where did, where did we start? Did y'all see where we start? This cord is hanging there. What a great beginning and ending place. That crimson thread, that picture of the redemption of Jesus Christ through his shed blood on the cross, that Old Testament picture of God's redeeming love through the shed blood of Christ was hanging there on that maybe white or off-white, sandy-colored wall. You couldn't miss it. They said, let's start there. Go around. That's where we're going to stop. That's the start and finish line right there. That's where we start, and that's where we stop, at Christ. I, that just came to me. I just said, just, this is a picture just in plain in my mind. So there they are. They're marching around the city. The emphasis here on the number seven, which is found 14 times in this chapter, cannot be missed. Also, the use of ceremonial ram's horns and seven priests leaning to the ark make it clear, listen, this is not a military campaign. 
This is not an army's job. It's way above that. The stage is being set for a supernatural event. The defeat is not going to be a military might. Instead, God is presenting a wonderful example of the truth he gave in Zerubbabel to Zerubbabel in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, So he answered me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by my might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. This is the Lord's fight. A great takeaway. When we have things that come on us, say, this, Lord, this is your fight. Get me out of the way. Remove me. I want to see the Lord Jesus between me and the task ahead of me. This is your fight. Not in arrogance, not in passivity, but in confidence. Say, Lord, this is your fight. I will do whatever you say. The problems in our lives, listen, church, the problems in our lives, the ones with seemingly no solution, have you ever had one? Golly, well, this, this is going to be one we just lose right here. I cannot see a way out. The problems that, have, that seemingly have no solution are areas God has given us as special arenas for his strange grace and mysterious mercy. Victory isn't found in pushing through our own schemes, but in cooperating with what he intends to accomplish in his own way and time. Have you ever heard the song, he's the own time God? When Monica worked with the uh, Department of Human Resources, this is before we had any children, and we went to pick up three children in Abbeville once a month and take them to see their mom in Wetumpka. What's in Wetumpka is a ladies' penitentiary. And so we picked these children up, Bobby, Brianna, and Chocolate. That was what they called her. Her name was Shakita, but they just called her Chocolate. So Bobby and Brianna and Chocolate. And so a uh, funny little side note, we stopped in Brundage coming from on Highway 10 right there. You know, we go through Clio and everything. We came out of Brundage before we went 231 North. And here we are. We're, there were two white young people a long time ago, and we had three African-American children. We, were taking them in, we went to a store to get something. Well, Bobby and Brianna had to use the restroom. And so they went there. I had the duty of watching chocolate. She was four and fast. All right. And so she, I lost her on, on, the, on the little Debbie aisle going toward the chip aisle. And I'm, 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 I'm in that store, chocolate, 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 trying to call her. And this large brother came, came and he looked at me like to say, why in the world are you calling her chocolate? And I was quick. Her name's Sequita, but that's what they call her, chocolate. And, then, and she said, hey, Mr. Chuck, boom, on my leg. I, she had that man melting in her arms. I, I felt like I had a bodyguard about this high. I said, hey, we're good now. Anyway, so we would be traveling to Wetumpka, and he, they would sing this song. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Do you know that God is never early? God is never late. God is right on time, every time, all the time. So in this right here, in God's timing, this is happening. Joshua commands that Rahab and her family are to be spared as the spies promised in verse 17, chapter 6. In the seven days of marching around the city, saying to the people of Jericho, judgment is coming. But don't miss this. This is an absolute truth that I did not see until I really started preparing that because I've always thought about conquest, walls come tumbling down, rubble, Rahab saved. 
God was giving every inhabitant of Jericho seven days to repent. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we, 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 we start expecting the walls come tumbling down because we know the story. We've heard it so many times. Yep, they're going to get it. They're going to get theirs. Oh, snake in the grass, stiff-necked people. God loved every one of them. If they were done like Rahab done, every one of them been saved, much like the story of Nineveh. The whole city repented. Now, Jonah wasn't happy about it, but the whole city repented. Listen, God is calling us as a church. If you don't think warnings haven't come our way in the past decade, my soul wake up from storms to disasters, attacks, pandemic. God, I believe, I really believe this, is warning, yes, those that are not believers, but he's warning the church, repent. Repentance. Stop coasting through your relationship with my son. He is the commander of the Lord's army. It's time to be about the Father's work, sharing the good news of the gospel, looking to see what we can do for the Lord Jesus every waking moment of our lives, just not on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, but every day as we go to Lord, we plead before him, we hear from him every morning. It is time for the church to say, Lord, use us, use us in a world that's dying and going to be separated for eternity in hell. Lord, use us to preach the good news with love, with mercy, with kindness, with grace, with truth. Use us, Lord, to for the truth of Jesus Christ to be seen. Let us mark around, let us march around that wall and look for the thread of crimson blood. Let Jesus be our starting point and our stopping point. But Lord, we don't do it in our strength. We do it in yours. It's not a military movement. It's a movement of the almighty God. Let us be involved with that church that we endeavor to do that. Should that crank our tractor more than college football season? Should that excite us more than, gosh, than having a child or a grandchild or a, a vacation? If the things of the Lord excite us and get a passion within us, then we will see. You know what Scripture says, then we will hear from the Lord if they repent and turn from their wicked ways. The church needs to be the point man, not the follow group. Well, that wasn't in my notes. So God's judgment was on Jericho. And there's just one more warning, one more warning to other Canaanite cities that they would be next. However, like we've mentioned, if they, like Rahab, would just demonstrate faith in Jehovah, they too be saved. Let's look at verses 18 through 19. Just one little point here. Chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. But keep yourselves from the things set apart. Now, what's going on here? After the walls have fallen and they went straight in and started gathering everything within the city, the Lord says, but keep yourselves from things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. For all the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. Here's one. Just write this down in, your, in the margin of your Bible or whatever. Deal with destructive things 
Don't try to manage them. They were not to take all this and say, okay, now here we're going to split it up. Going to have a draft kind of thing. And all these things are going to split up and everybody's going to get their fair share. I mean, by the way, y'all have all marched around the city one time for six days, seven, days, seven times on the seventh day. And the preachers, they, they've blown their lungs out. They've blown the horns and we all shouted. So we deserve this. Have you ever been there in your walk with the Lord? I mean, you, you fought hard. I mean, really, truly, genuinely done things. But then, then the enemy gets in there and perverts a little thought, says, you know what? You, hey, you have worked hard. You deserve this. You deserve this moment. Is there anything in this life that you and I deserve? No, that's antithetical to grace. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something we do deserve. So in this picture here, don't try to manage destructive things. Deal with them. Don't try to put it off. So, the only thing limiting God's power in our lives is our lack of faith. At times, we all face what seems to be an enemy with impregnable walls, much like Jericho. It may be health problems. It may be financial reverses. It may be career concerns. It may be relationship difficulties. The same God who brought down the walls of Jericho can bring down the most invincible walls in our lives. There's one requirement. Scripturally, biblically speaking, there's one requirement, and it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. Write that down in your margin. Matthew 9, 29. Here's what the Bible says. Then he touched their eyes, talking about the healing. Then he touched their eyes saying, you heard this? Let it be done for you according to to your faith. For healing to take place, we must believe it can take place with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the prerequisite for God working for us to have faith. So the only thing limiting us to seeing God's power in our lives is the faith that we have or lack thereof. So to defeat this morning, to defeat your Jerichos, to defeat my Jerichos, we must be willing to appear foolish we must trust in the Lord's power. Then finally this morning, we need to expect our faith to grow. Expect your faith to grow. Now, when the wall collapses, the Israelites rush in and completely destroy the city and its inhabitants. Apparently, the only section of the wall left standing was Rahab's house located within the wall. I mean, can you, I mean, just, just put yourself there for a moment. You're marching around the city the horns blow, you just bend over with everything you have. You shout as instructed because you've been quiet for seven days. So it's all in you and you just let it all hang out and you shout and all of a sudden the walls come tumbling down except her house. Listen, and Bradley shared this with me a, a, a week or so ago. God does not bring storms into our lives. He brings testing. Storms pop up around us during the testing. But we stand firm. Much like the picture of Rahab's house here, when testing comes and her faith is being tested and it's shown proven, it stands. Walls tumbled around us, but that house has stood. 
So Joshua tells the two spies to go to her house and bring out Rahab and their family. Can you imagine what they're feeling? Yes. Praise the Lord. And they were taken out. Joshua gives a solemn warning here that anyone who lays the foundation for rebuilding the wall, don't miss this, anyone who lays the foundation for rebuilding the wall will be cursed and lose his firstborn son. And whoever rebuilds the gates will lose his youngest son. Now apparently Joshua is referring to the wall and not the city. Because the city was resettled according to Joshua chapter 18, Judges chapter 3, 2 Samuel chapter 10. Rebuilding the wall would refortify the city and make it a power once again. Listen, once God has defeated a wall in your life, don't rebuild it. Don't go back to that hurt. Don't go back to that thing that says, well, you know what? I sure missed that and rebuild up that wall emotionally. I'm not, listen, I'm guilty of it, and I dare say I can, I can be safe to assume we're all guilty of that on some level. When God takes down a wall in your life and defeats it, don't go back months or years later and try to rebuild it and revisit it. Keep that wall crumbled. Keep depending on God to be your defender, not a wall in your life, whether emotionally or physically. And because of all this, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. God allows, God allows us to have our own Jerichos to teach us about fearless living. Everything involved in the destruction of Jericho was designed to strengthen the faith of the Israelites, provide for the inhabitants of Jericho an opportunity of repentance, but in this context of what we're studying this morning, it was designed to strengthen the faith of the Israelites. The same is true for our Jerichos. It is not enough, listen, it is not enough for, just, for us just to read the Bible about the victory at Jericho. We must see our own Jerichos in which we experience God's power working in our lives. Only then can we develop a fearless faith. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Every one of your Jerichos can bring joy if you look at them as opportunities to experience God's power and take another step toward fearless living. This is because our Jerichos, your Jericho, my Jericho, can cause our faith to grow. Listen, our days here on earth are quickly fading away, some quicker than others. Our days here on earth are fleeting, but the Lord knows each one of them. Realize he means for you to go forward. Say no to discouragement and yes to strength. Step up to the moment before us, church, and find someone to help you along the way. Expect God to guide you when you've never been before. Prepare today for tomorrow's wonders and trust God to turn problems into pathways. Build some monuments along the way. You're not in charge. But remember who is. Encircle obstacles in our lives with biblical faith and claim the land. And listen, 
Don't forget to shout the victory. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you today, Father, and I pray, Lord, I, I, I can't pray for you. I, I, church, I want, I want you to hear my heart. Lord, I pray t- that we come realizing that we are in always need of repenting because we are born from Adam and we have a sinful nature. But Father, thank you for your redemption and for your goodness. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, you cause us to see you as the commander of the army. And Father, we we repent from going before you. Father, use us. And in this moment, God, as we have things in our lives that are certainly problematic, may we see that as your omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, never-changing pathway for us to build a monument. And God, for us to confess that we're not in charge, but we know you are. God, give us the strength to be quiet and to encircle the obstacles in our life with faith to claim what you have for us for your glory. And Father, we will shout the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look this way for a moment, and as we began our time together, now is that time that I mentioned, a time that it is for a response. And listen, the response may be where you're sitting. The response may be at these altars that we have for praying. But I believe with all my heart, as I share with you, probably almost every time I get to preach, and it's not because of anything I've said, but I've tried my best to read from the Word of God and from the Scripture this morning. Anytime His Word is spoken, I know with all my heart it does not return void. I'm not begging you to come, but I'm pleading with you to respond to Him. Whether you're seated or come here, but do not allow the enemy to take the Word of God, as the Scripture says, as birds of the air, and and, and it fall on a hard path or a thorny path or a, a rocky path. But I pray that the Word of God has found a good, fertile soul. And it's our obedience to respond to him. You may stand, you may, you may sit, however God leads, that is perfectly great. But please do not leave here without responding. So stand with me. If you do not know Christ this morning, that's your first response. Chuck, I'm not sure that I have a relationship with him. Please come to me. Chase is on my right. Bob will be on my left. One of us or somebody close to you would love to share with you. Thank you for saying that. Here's how you know Christ as your Savior. Here's how you begin a relationship with Him. Would you give us that opportunity this morning? It would, <laughs> that would make our day. If you're here to do not know Christ, please let us know that. We would love to share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior. If you're looking for a church home, you may have been just staring at a wall saying, I, I know what I need to do, but I'm not sure now's the time. Can I, can I encourage you? Let us know that. We want to pray with you about that. If it's God's will, you become part of our family here. Maybe today's the day to do that. Anything in your life, have you looked at a wall without looking at the commander of the army?
If so, respond. As Tim leads us, you be obedient of how God wants you to respond to this.